Hi, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast Season 3, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is a podcast dedicated to all things food, from culinary sleuthing to recipe ideas and interviews with people who are passionate about food and delicious adventures. So join me here on Fridays to explore the world through the lens of food, and together we can share some laughs, conversation, and I welcome you at my table always. So if you're ready, let's jump into our next food adventure together right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast, season three, what? And I'm your host, Beth Fuller. I can't believe it's season three. If you're new, if you're new to the podcast, welcome, welcome. You have a lot of catching up to do. No, no pressure, no pressure. You've been here through all the seasons. Well, I love you and thank you for listening to me every week chattering away. And you know what I'm going to say, don't take notes. I've taken all of your notes, so head on over to my website for everything, elizabethrfuller.com. And while you're there, take in that amazing food, product, and lifestyle photography. It's what I do for a living. So if you need photos, I'm your gal. Hit me up. If you've got questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any any, any kind, I'm your gal. Send me an email, let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. All right, you guys, let's do this. Let's go on a food adventure. Why, hello, hello, hello. How is everyone? How have your weeks been? Uh, did I miss a week? I think I missed a week. Sorry about that. But here I am. Here I am. It's October. Oh my God. Was it October before when we did a podcast? I can't remember. I really can't. The weeks just are blurring together. Oh my God. So much good stuff though. So many fun photo shoots. If um, you're at all interested in more food photography, head on over to my Instagram, my my food photography Instagram page. Um, you'll see a lot of what I've been working on, and that's uh, Elizabeth Fuller Photography on Instagram. I uh, cannot say what the upcoming shoots this month are, but let me tell you, they are so super fun. They are household names that you absolutely know and love and have loved for decades upon decades um yeah you are going to be gooped gagged and all of the things when you see these images start rolling out around the holiday season if not a little before so keep your peepers peeled it's so much it's just gonna be so much fun so much fun um and that kind of dovetails into what we're about to talk about today but before we get started can I just tell you, so right now, uh, and I'm going to talk about this in an upcoming episode, just uh, fall-centric things because it's all things fall right now. And um, in New England, there is this, we do it every year. I, I absolutely love doing it. I've been doing it since I was a child. And it's something that you just, it's like a season's rite of passage that we all do this. Apple picking. Now, a lot of people think they associate apple picking with fall. Yes, it is a very early fall activity here in New England, but like you have to, apple picking starts 
end of August even. And then like it really wraps up beginning of October at the latest, depending on the season. So by now, mid-October, the trees have been picked, my friends. The hot apple cider donies have been gobbled up. Can you still get some? Yeah, of course. But a lot of the orchards, you can't pick from the trees anymore. You have to, like, you can buy them in the farm stand kind of thing. And what you do, so when you go apple picking in New England, you pay, like, 40 or $50 for a bag. And then you fill said bag. And, you, and then you have to schlep the entire, like, 25 pounds of apples you just purchased from, like, the orchard to usually some kind of farm trailer truck thing that then you sit in and it brings you back down to where your cars are. You know, they're all different, but you get the gist. So that's a really exciting activity. You get the warm apple cider donies, always get the warm fresh ones, day old ones, cold ones, not nearly as good. You want the fresh ones. And hot apple cider, cold apple cider, apple cider slushy, hard alcoholic cider, like whatever is your fancy dive in and then you you go home with like 20 or 30 pounds of apples and you look at your spouse or your partner or the the people you cohabitate with and you say holy shit what are we going to do with all these goddamn apples they're just going to rot and then you get to the the week after you went apple picking and you realize it is a race to eat these fucking things and so they don't rot and just in fruit flies and like you know what is it what's the saying one bad apple spoils the bunch yeah it's a thing it's a fucking thing so I just saw besides like apple pies I'm really right now cannot get enough of like a French apple cake I've been making one a week for the last few weeks so good so I'll link a recipe in the show notes but foodandwine.com the other day earlier this week did a post about a pickled apple sandwich. It's so good. It's really, I will link it in the show notes. Can't recommend it enough. It's just something different than just eating an apple or slicing it up and putting it in like sharp cheddar cheese sandwich. You like on a mandolin, thinly, a cord apple, thinly shave big round circular pieces of very thin, 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 thin on a mandolin like pieces of apple you make like a pickling liquid with whole grain mustard apple cider vinegar a little bit of honey salt and pepper some shallot and then you toss in the apples let them sit for like 45 minutes and they just they soften they kind of fold up on top of each other the pickling liquid almost becomes like a vinaigrette for the sandwich the bottom layer of sandwich really good fluffy sliced bread, whatever you like, whole grain, white, wheat, multigrain, you pick your, you pick your poison on that. Thin layer of salted butter, big, huge, gorgeous chunks of the best, most delicious extra sharp cheddar cheese you can get your hands on. Then you pile, almost like you were piling on like sandwich meat, piles of these pickled apples, like pile it high. Don't be stingy with this. Then really good, fresh, wild, or whatever, uh, arugula. And then another very thin layer of salted butter on the other slice of bread. Put it on top. Slicey. Boom. Sandwich. 
salivating thinking about it. I had it for lunch today. Can't recommend it enough. I will link it in the show notes. What does that have to do with today's episode? Absolutely fucking nothing. So let's get into our guest. Oh, such fun music. You know what that means. Our guest is here. That's so freaking exciting. So who do we have today? She's a rock star. 20 plus years in uh, the marketing industry. Check. Invaluable. Invaluable. First-hand experience as a roaster retailer. Check. And really, truly, just an all-around amazing, incredible, wonderful human. This woman has it all. Now, can we please give a warm welcome, a standing ovation, a round applause to my good friend and soon to be your good friend, Darlene from Chairlift Coffee Lab. We're not doing video. No, never video. No one <laughs> needs to see this mug, especially right. <laughs> totally. candidly. No one yeah. needs to see this Listen, mug. Listen, we we've got a face for radio. We do have a face for radio. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Darlene, what's going on? How are you? Oh my God, Beth Fuller. Hi. Hi. So good to see you. So good to see you. I love chatting with you. I love that we have our impromptu chats and now I love that we're bringing on the pod. So this is so much fun. So, so fabulous to have you. You're so cool that you have a pod. Well, you know, you got to get on the pod track. I've been, I've been potting now for three years. I was potting before, I, I mean, not before the craze, but before like now every single celebrity has a pod. Whereas, yeah. you know, I, this is season three. We're chugging wow. along with the pod. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, right? cool. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, you're an inspiration in so many ways, but definitely <laughs> on the on the pod front. I love you. You're such a doll. <laughs> You're such a dollop. Um, okay, tell everybody about you. Where are you from? Where did oh, you yeah. grow up? Where yeah. are you now in the world? Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so, you know, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, Western New York, just uh, just on the other side of Canada. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, growing up, you know, I'm like a little gay kid and I'm like, oh my God, the big city was Toronto. So that was the true. big city. True, true. Yeah. And so that's where we used to go for, you know, shows and, and yeah. And then when I was older for shows and that's where I got my first Doc Martens, you know, yeah. it was like a cool place to go. Um, and not too far either. It was probably what, like a couple uh, hours, like an hour and a half. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's funny. Hold on. Pause. My mom grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania. Oh, and so God. we used to drive through Buffalo all the time on our way to and from Erie. Cause you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to, I'm, from new england so we're not going to fly and there's no airport to get into you're flying into buffalo or cleveland right and buffalo was the big city (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) i love that like you're like no no it's really toronto like you've got to go across lake erie (laughs) into another country and that's where partying because you're not going to new york like that's way too far to the city yeah that's right oh my god yeah i know people don't realize but yeah it's a it's a it's a far trek from uh from western new york to yeah, uh, it's a huge state. Tip. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I mean, not as not like California, but it's big enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, and also, you know, in the eighties, like Toronto felt like London to me, as close to London as hundred percent. You know, yeah. and so I listened to the Canadian radio stations. That's where I got all like I listened to the Smiths and the Cure and all that stuff. Susie the Banshees that were playing on the radio on CFNY. Oh my God, I wonder if they're even around still. But that. 
saved my soul. You know what I mean? Oh. I was just like, I was just dying to be in the city. So fast forward, you know, I went to college in Cleveland, Ohio, <laughs> loving that Great Lakes, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like uh, <laughs> slightly better weather. Uh, it's so funny. Someone recently told me that everyone's moving to Michigan. I'm like, I can't go. Why? Uh, well, because it's the only place that's going to survive climate change. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. That, that's Whatever. true. That's true. But like what people don't realize is right around Lake Erie where you are even like Erie, they used to call it dreary Erie, like even yeah. in Buffalo. And it happened this past winter, the mm. snow belt there and that lake effect snow is no joke. And like it can be yeah. beautiful. 40 miles east or 40 miles west of that or south and like where you are you could get feet I mean like six or seven feet of snow yeah. sometimes out of the blue and it's yeah. insane the weather you, and you're saying in Erie no I'm saying in Buffalo and like oh, in that yeah. whole area like that whole yeah. belt that wraps around and even up a little bit north of Buffalo like more towards yeah uh, you know and like it can get fucking brutal and it is not for the faintest of heart to live there like oh. you are hardy folks who live yeah, in that area you know, for sure like, absolutely and like and that part i i love that about buffalo people you know mm -hmm. <laughs> you know i think there, it's just a it's you know it's changed so much i left there in 89 and you know i obviously visit because uh, my brother still lives there and he's got a family and so my parents are both gone yeah but um, so i go there a lot less than i used to but it's just like I don't know, meat and potatoes and, you know, blue, mostly blue collar workers, you know, like yeah. it's working class, you know, my dad was an engineer. So, but he worked at a steel mill his entire career. Oh. I mean, who does that anymore? <laughs> you know what I mean? Nobody. Like, Nobody. Yeah. But, um, yeah. so that that's, yeah. And the whole snowboat thing, like when I would drive my senior year, I finally got a car in college and I drove, <laughs> I would drive like on brakes, like from Cleveland to Buffalo. And it was just like the worst possible, like, like a worst strip of driving, you know, it was like, I always felt like Erie maybe got it worse, but like, probably God, yeah. still no. So and like, there wasn't four wheel drive, probably like your car was not four wheel drive. Oh, I'm sure. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Oh like, yeah. And the fish tailing <laughs> in the snow, like we're going to die today. I'm taking my life in my hands by getting behind the wheel just to get yeah. from point A to point B. Like, that's right. Everything was manual. Even my windows were manual. Oh, sure. so, yeah. 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 Um, and then I, so I went to Cleveland and then yeah, Cleveland. Um, yeah, that was fine. Whatever. I was an English and art history major. Um, and then, you know, I graduated. I was like, oh, liberal arts. What major. am I going to do with this? I'm like, I can't work at a bank, you know? <laughs> um, so I moved to New York. I was super lucky. Like I'd always wanted to live in New York and, you know, a good, really good friend of mine, Keith, um, uh, went to grad school after, you know, and to study interior design at Pratt. And so it, that's in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so he was going, you know, he was living there and we were, uh, me and another friend of ours kept visiting him. And then, you know, he got this cute little apartment, super small shower in the kitchen. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. In, in, uh, in the East village. Oh my God. Um, yeah. And, uh, and he was like, I can't afford the rent. You know, he's like, I love him so much. He always lives beyond his means. And he still does. Story <laughs> of my life. Yeah, I hear him. Preach, yeah, preach, yeah. girl, preach. He makes a lot of money now, and he still is beyond his means. But yeah. he's got a, a really fancy lifestyle. Yeah. So, anyways, I moved in with him. It's a one bedroom apartment. Like you know, he lived in the living room, and I lived in this weird loft, and whatever. We made it work, and then, um, and then that became my apartment. So, anyways, I, I moved to New York. Uh, I got and like how I, my career got started. I went to a headhunter. 
um you know and i was i don't even know if had to hunt, they, like you know go to a they used to i don't know i don't know if go to an office stuff. right yeah. you know <laughs> i think yeah. it was Kelly or you know whatever they had all those different types of names i you know i was like i don't know like uh pr or fashion or <laughs> advertising i have no idea like what <laughs> what are my skills you know <laughs> i know and so the first job i was offered was at an a, an ad agency in new york and so, you know, with no and- experience either. It's not like, I mean, no, no. none. like you're I mean, out of college living yeah. your best New York life. And you're like, I need a job. Yeah. That's not totally. news yeah. fest. Well, well, actually in, in Cleveland, I had been waitressing and of I course. loved that. Yeah. <laughs> but my dad was like, my parents paid for my college. Thank God. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I was very lucky that way, but you know, my dad was like, I didn't pay for you to go to college to be a waitress. And I'm like, <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of social skills. One learns waiting oh, tables and like how to I, treat people as fucking humans. So I applaud well, you. I loved, and I loved everyone I worked with, oh, you know, yeah. just like, it was cool. So anyways, I'm like, all right, let me go into the office. I guess that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, get a big girl job. Right. Yeah. I know. And so, yeah. And so I worked at this ad agency. It was a really traditional ad ad agency. I was an assistant buyer, Mm. um, which just meant I did a lot of faxing, um, you know, it's not that fancy of a, like you'd think it would be so much more fancy. Oh my God. No. Buying things like you're, yeah. And like, I would data, it was like a lot of data entry Mm. and a program that was very specific to, to advertising, um, but yeah. And then I was like, okay. And then I, uh, and I got into internet. I worked at the first internet agency, I think ever, um, where, you know, people had a website, but they're like, well, how do we get people to it? And so this one agency was called iTraffic was later bought by agency.com. Um, but that's what we did. We bought keywords, we did banner ads, you know, um, Disney was the, big account we worked and then I worked at another one we worked with um Chase on their first website Um, so all that stuff but like all the stuff you know it's still it's come it's changed so much it was way before social media but it's still like how do you find people yeah you know the right mindset um and how do you steer them into doing you know making taking an action because it's not you know it's not just branding anymore it's not just like Mm. putting an ad up and people listen to it or see it or whatever it's like action it's direct response so you know and then the search engine optimization all that stuff so um and then i worked at a graphic design studio where i met some of my closest friends who are graphic designers um i was the general manager but it was the same type of thing you know it was like a boutique you know, so we had, um, Turner classic movies and Miramax and, um, just like a lot of entertainment, you know, they Mm -hmm. might be dance was an account fish P H I S H the band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so we did a lot of that kind of stuff and that was fun. And then, you know, there, there were a lot of internet startups, (laughs) they don't even exist anymore, (laughs) but we would do everything from, you know, um, brand like naming, uh, to logo design, website, everything. Um, so that was fun. And then, you know, um, and then I, you know, September 11th happened and everybody lost their jobs. You know, yeah, I'm like, life changed maybe myself, but like, you know, as a Gen Xer, I've experienced three yep. financial crashes. Yeah. yeah. 
Two, yeah. yeah, 2001 was September 11th, mm-hmm. 2008, and then mm-hmm. COVID. You know yeah. what I mean? So we're just like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> wait, what am I doing? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I know, I know. And like, it's, it, we, our generation, ha- I think we're one of the most resilient. We might be slightly jaded at times, <laughs> but we are very resilient because we bounce back through all odds. Like in the worst economies, we have mm-hmm. somehow thrived and change. And like, we're, yeah. we're the pivoting generation, you know, oh like my God. it's insane what we've yeah. gone through and uh, hopefully paved the way for younger generations that are coming up to do some good behind us because yeah. we're getting tired. I know. <laughs> we're not boomers, yeah. but we're getting tired. I know. You know, I just, <laughs> just read somewhere, um, some, something hit my, my feed yesterday that was like, Gen X is like not at all in good shape to retire. And I was no. like, no kidding. But it was like the average savings that the Gen Xer has right now is like yeah. 40 grand. Yeah. And yeah. we're supposed to have like <laughs> we're supposed to have like three to six times what you make annually save. Yes. I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, I don't I don't know. Me and all my friends, you know. Yeah. No, at least our generation's probably one of the last ones that could buy a house. <laughs> like, so we oh, have that no. going for us. You know what no, I mean? Like, that's in true. All, yeah. This is a very sad, I'm laughing, but it's very, it's extremely sad that mm-hmm. the majority of probably millennials and Gen Z yeah. buying a house is going yeah. to be a very, very tough climb with the interest rates where they are and mm, everything yeah. else. I mean, it's in yeah. with inflation and, and yeah, anyway. This and that's a- where I feel a little bit like Gen Z too. Cause like, I get it, you know, like we've moved mm-hmm. around so much and like we're mm-hmm. renting and I'm like, I don't know if I want to commit to, you know, and I'm like, you know, what's also in my Instagram feed is tiny houses. Yep. You know? Sure. <laughs> Yeah. everything Denver, it's like, everything's huge, you know, yeah. or it's, it's cute little bungalow. And then it's like, literally true story. It, well, it, whatever, but then it, 600, 800, but then they mm-hmm. tear it down and m- build something huge, mm-hmm. you know, know. like it's like in the city also like who I don't want that's like that's a burden I'm like that's a staff yeah oh you know? I'm like I've had a you know I've run a thing that required a staff it was a coffee shop <laughs> but I'm like I don't want that in my personal life you know no. I want simplicity I want to be able to pick up and go to um you know anywhere Egypt Egypt like, or yeah, with Keith Paris yeah. or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or just like whatever, just LA and visit friends. Like I just like being I like having that mm-hmm. flexibility and I like not being like, oh, I have to like batten down the hatches before we go. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally get that. A hundred percent. So that's a good segue. You mentioned you yeah. ran and owned a coffee uh, shop. Yeah. Like we need to talk about your coffee journey because yeah. it's a journey. <laughs> and like you have dabbled and not just dabbled, like really, really gotten into coffee in yeah. every aspect of it. Yeah. So let's talk about coffee. Let's talk um, about coffee. <laughs> it's so in 2001, you know, like uh, everyone lost their job. And uh, I, I, at the time I was like, you know, because I was running this place, this uh, graphic design studio, and I was getting all the new clients, you know, like that was really my role as a general manager was like uh, getting clients, getting new business and client service, you know? And so, um, and they, you know, and these guys were awesome, but they were doing so much work for free, you know? And one of the owners was, he's so funny. He's like, it's called show business, not show friends. (laughs) 
<laughs> they were oh doing so God. <laughs> they were doing all this free work for you know like artists and friends and stuff like that like cool stuff so anyways all that is to say is they had an amazing portfolio mm. and I was like well this is great and so we submitted it to all these like design places and we got recognition and people found us that way so anyways um at the time though I'm like I want to do my own thing Mm-hmm. Like I got this, I can do, I can, I can do this. Like I have like this, you know, and also like with the marketing, like I, you know, I learned from those traditional agencies and those internet ones is like, how do you analyze market research? How do you build a brand? How do you build a brand story? What is like, what makes this thing unique? Mm-hmm. You know, why is it different? You know, and especially with all those internet things, it was like, we're solving a problem. This is like, and it was always like what everyone else is doing. We're doing this, you know? Yeah. So kind of like we're where you set ourselves apart and so I just love that and I just I think that's just goes like speaks to what interests me you know I think I've always been that way even as a kid you know I was like um thinking about that kind of stuff and I still do that today you know my girlfriend and I will go into a bookstore and we're like you know, that's like dying. We're like, how can we make this better? There's somebody mm. like that coffee shop. No one cares about that anymore. Like, let's do that. You know what I mean? And like, we can like revitalize this because we've seen really good examples in other cities and like, how do we make that relevant here? So anyways, mm-hmm. so coffee shop. So I started writing a business plan. Um, I had some money. Um, I had been in a car accident when I was in college. And so I, um, I got some money from that and I had invested it and the stock market crashed. And so <laughs> this money was like up and down and up and yeah. down. You know what I mean? Um, so I took it out of out of the account. I was like, all right, so I where yeah, it's gonna keep crashing. Yeah, no shit. It's like on paper, I think it went up to a million dollars at one point, you know. <gasps> 75 crap. I know, but then it then it, it really it plummeted to like a hundred thousand dollars. So I'm like, let me take it out, and that's what I'm gonna use to start this business. Um, I love coffee every single morning. I would, you know, and I loved coffee when I was even in college. You know, I'd have like I had a little Krups espresso machine in my dorm. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. That's awesome. And I'd be walking around with like this little ceramic mug from this coffee shop that was local. It was called um it was called Arabica. We call it Arabica in mm-hmm. coffee, but mm-hmm. it was everyone called it Arabica and there was all these different versions. It was like Arafrica, Arashika, oh depending on the neighborhood. Um, so, so, I went, you know, so um, anyways, I'm like, I love coffee. I love, you know, after working in uh, advertising and the internet, I'm like, I want something that's tangible. I love serving people. I loved it when I was a waitress. Um, I want to make something with my hands and I want something that's like, has a value. Yeah. No, it's like, I am making you something and you're going to put it in your stomach. You're going to say it's delicious and you're going to give me some money for it. Yep. And I'm like, I love that. You know, I'm like, uh, it's like not on the market, you know, like you can just give me $3 for that. Just cash. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like a lot more money, but like, I just wanted something simple like that, you know? And so I wrote a business plan. I, um, I got an SBA loan. Mm-hmm um, that matched that money. Um, my parents loaned me $40,000 to help me pay for the coffee roaster. So I got a coffee roaster. I learned how to roast coffee, um, from Deidre coffee roasters, a place in Sandpoint, Idaho, where they taught everything from like sourcing green coffee to all the different ways you can, ro- I didn't know anyone who roasted coffee. No, I mean at this time, cause this is probably what 2002 ish. End of 2001. Yeah. Cause I opened in 2002. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I learned all of that, you know, and I was like, how hard can this be? Oh, you God. Know? <laughs> I'm always like, I'm always like, hey, someone's doing, people are doing this, how it can't be yeah. that hard. Right. You know, I love that I had a barrier to entry. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, cause it's, it's, you know, you have to get it hooked up. It's intimidating. You have to get a gas line put in, you know what I mean? And it can go on fire. All this, you can have fires, all this stuff. Right. And, and I'm this like, is now in Brooklyn, New York, right? In Brooklyn. Is where we're doing this. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, so I was living in the East village. I'm like, there's no way anyone would approve this in Manhattan. So like, I'll do it in Brooklyn, you know? And, so I mean, like, the, the money to get this for the rental of the space, even like, I mean, yeah. Brooklyn was a little more affordable at that point in right. time. It's right. And a little and, rough around the edges still at that point in time too. Yeah. And what was happening, there, there were areas in Brooklyn that were becoming like chefs, like known chefs, Michelin star chefs mm-hmm. were moving into this a couple streets that were close to where I ended up opening. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of that same idea of like, I want to have a dining, you know, like a, a place where I can like do this and I can afford the rent and I, and all these people are just underserved. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, and so, yeah. And so I moved into Park Slope. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, is like Dyke Slope at the time. It's uh, a lot more um, strollers, baby strollers and stuff now. No, I mean, now it's like rich white people. Like you yeah, can't. I mean, yeah. yeah like, uh, yeah. Chuck Schumer. <laughs> right. On the corner. I mean, he's, uh, he's been there for a long time. Um, yeah, so we opened up there, you know, roasting on site and, uh, also at the time in coffee in New York, also broad, more broadly in coffee, it was Starbucks was everywhere. They're popping up in you know, every single corner and they were mm-hmm. buying up all these other companies. So it was like, a, you know, the joke was that a corner had four Starbucks. Yes. You know, every corner had a different Starbucks. Um, and then they whittled down to just one, but they were just driving out the competition or there was like these weird mom and pop shops. I say mom and pop, but like in super indie, but they were like scrambling eggs with a steam wand, you know, and serving soup. You know what I mean? No one was focusing on coffee, no one, you know? And so I was like, well, this is interesting. And so like when I learned about the coffee roasting and sourcing, I'm like, this is really interesting. This is a, you know, there's a, a sustainability issue with coffee. You know, like there's a sea market that's driving the cost. It's driving it down low. In 2001, it was a particularly bad year for coffee, uh, for coffee prices. So I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm writing this. I'm going to commit to fair trade and organic only. So there's like a base pay, you know, and tell that story about who's growing it, you know, the co-op that's involved and like, picture of the the farm maybe some people and a story about why that co-op um is sustainable or like why buying this coffee matters you know because it's um you're not taking advantage of these coffee growing communities and i mean also this is be- way before the marketing the push of being sustainable being organic being like all of these buzzwords yeah. which probably came you would know better than me in like mm-hmm. the 2010s ish, it feels like that's when those uh, caught fire and avocado toast was it, and like you know <laughs> what I mean. And like now, bef- but this is before that, and you had such good foresight into what was almost to come because no one really knew that was a like yeah. that that wasn't a needed selling point yet. In a way, maybe in that area it was, but we're, like, yeah. on a bigger scale, like people just didn't care or know or n- need to know. And mm-hmm. now it's so important that like, yeah. if those things aren't there, people probably won't buy your product. Like, right. in a way, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's yeah. It's so that's, interesting. That's I give you so much yeah. credit for that. Thanks. Yeah. It was 20 years ago. It's kind of crazy. No. Um, but other, you know, and, and you, you'll know this too, like food was so it was part it was the beginning of the artisanal movement yes i didn't know it 
I don't no think one that was no doing it. No, no. Uh, Alice uh, Waters uh, knew it, but the rest of us had no uh, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well, oh my God. I know. Alice Waters. I love her. So anyways, what were we saying about coffee? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, anyways, so you were you were telling the the, the origin about, stories and t- yeah. why it's fair trade and, and right. all of that, like on your, yeah. for your company ethos, which is really important. Yeah. So there was that element. And then there's also the element of like, this is prepared by someone who has had training is a, and is skilled, you know? So it was, we that later started doing latte art, understood the importance of that. You know, and I also got really heavily involved in the roasters guild um, where I was like, and I highly recommend it to anyone who's in roasting because, you know, roasters typically like they go into their little dark roasteries. They're usually not beautiful glass buildings or like, you know, brick, no windows, whatever. They smell good though. I'll tell you that if you like the smell of coffee, (laughs) man, oh man, do they smell good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but they typically kind of work, uh, solo or with maybe two other people if they're lucky. Um, but you know, and then you're just kind of like in your thing, doing your thing and it's, you know, it's very, it it requires a lot of attention. So you're just like super focused and then you kind of leave. So what I love about the roaster skills, it brings everyone out of their little uh, pockets, you know, from across, across the United States, but also globally they're, they're, they attract producers too. So it's really fun. Uh, that was really amazing too. Um, but just talking about like everything, like, how are you sourcing? Who are you using? And you know, everything to like, you have a weigh and fill, like what kind, you know what I mean? Like all this stuff, all the tools, you know what I mean? That, and so I learned so much and I just appreciated it so much. And then I was elected to the executive council there. Uh, and I was involved with that for, I think two or three years. Um, and so, you know, we did origin trips and, um, getting people to go see, and you know, and I, then I, as a, for my business, I went to origin quite a lot. Um, it's not necessary, um, you know, but, um, I really liked having certain relationships with certain farmers. You know, I went to El Salvador every year and we bought a lot of coffee from the Pacas family. Um, and same thing in Brazil, you know, um, this Enrique Cambrea, he's in Southern, uh, Southern Minas. And that's where there's like the best cheese. That's where cachaça is from. <laughs> you oh, know? my brother's girlfriend. So my brother lives in Brazil and his oh girlfriend, yeah, yeah. And his girlfriend is from Minas. So oh, wow. I have had a Minas very cheese. big education on oh. Minas and the cashew that comes from Minas and yes. I mean, I, we've been to Brazil and I've been to like the little cajerias that are like off the dirt roads and like you just, and it's like a hut, like a little hut in the middle of nowhere. And all they sell is just the most amazing cheese, like fresh hekijau. Oh yeah. I mean. And powdercasia. Love a powdercasia. Yeah. Oh my God. I was yeah, I I'm love salivating again now. This no, is, I'm going to be so hungry by the end of this. But yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love Brazil, you know, and we would always <clears throat> we'd fly into Rio mm-hmm. and then drive up to Minas, which was that was like another 10 hours. Oh, it's, big, it's a big haul. That's big. not people yeah, don't realize yeah. how big Brazil, Brazil is. It's like the size yeah. of the U.S. for the most part. Like it's massive, massive. Bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And Minas uh-huh. is kind of like um, the, uh, Colorado. Uh, like it's it's got, you know what I mean? Like it's it's, yeah. it's in the middle in the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's there's a lot of topography and the weather and. Yeah. Oh my God. It's really dry. Right. Um, but yeah, that's like the, that's a huge coffee producing region. Yeah. 
that's cool they have like the high elevation and everything it's the best um, it, yeah I, yeah i love that area Brazil is like you know it's the number one producing coffee country in the in the in the world oh be, before africa mm, yeah wow well we know okay, that's very interesting i would thought like i for some reason i thought well because i know africa they have um in kenya and in the areas around that have huge huge coffee plantations and farms coffee farms that um produce an obscene amount of coffee in ethiopia and in Mm -hmm. i I could be wrong with all of this but yeah i mean yeah ethiopia is a big producer but like in terms of volume Mm. yeah it's brazil i think vietnam is up there too oh wow that's really interesting yeah yeah there's a lot that's yeah it's crazy i mean that's a whole other topic of like Mm -hmm you know yeah what's where coffee is going well yeah Um, and like why i mean i've had conversations with people that are in and around it and they can't afford to keep it locally because it sells better out on the open market and oh yeah i mean in order to get money it's just it's it's so great that you went there to experience one meet the families and the purveyors and i mean the producers of this crop but then to also see what your impact is in their daily lives i think is Um, really important too that yeah and just to see like where your dollars and kindness and generosity is going Mm. i I think it lends into making your product that much better in a way, you know, like, and there's such wonderful authenticity with that, whether people are realizing and drinking and, and saying like, what we, yeah. oh, Darlene took this amazing trip to, you know, like and savoring their coffee that way. <laughs> I'll tell you what they're like. That, but like, I think yeah. the of it is very important. I, yeah. Thanks for that. I don't think that's true though. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, honestly, I feel like it's a little selfish Okay. You know, I'll tell you, like, I got so much from it Yeah, because I was able to, you know, we, I would go during the, the end of the harvest so that we could cup some stuff on the table and I could say, Oh, I want that. Like, please reserve that for me. Yeah. You know, so like new varietals or whatever it is, or a new farm they were working on or a new farm that they had just bought or just turned over or whatever, you know, it was, um, and also like I was a pretty small company. And so I would buy just what I needed, but I would book it for the year, you know? Yeah. So it's, it was a big purchase, especially like in Brazil, because it was half of our espresso blend. Yeah. Um, because it's chocolatey and delicious and gets nice crema. Um, and the price is good, you know, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, they, a lot of it's mechanically picked and then they use laser sorters and everything. Brazil's different from, you know, the ham, the ham, there's some, some people who hand pick, but it's mostly mechanically picked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It's not, you know, like, I think that's, that's a little bit, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm a marketer, but sometimes I, I get mad at marketers for spinning this kind of story of totally. like, oh, you know, saving the farms and all this stuff. And it's like, no, you're buying a micro lot, like buy the whole farm. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's what makes it more sustainable. I don't know. Sustainability is still super, it's, it's not, um, it's coffee isn't sustainable. And when I say sustainable, mm-hmm. I mean, the, next generation is not going to take over the farms because mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like that's the, mm-hmm. that's the kind of crisis we're having with um, Arabica coffee and like Central America, wow. you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, so I don't know, you know what I mean? Like uh, they are, a lot of farms are getting better prices, but you know, still in the end, the roasters. Well, yeah. 
who has yeah. markup and stuff. So I don't know. I think about that a lot. You yeah. Know? It's like how, how to make it really, how do we keep uh, Arabica coffee sustainable, socially sustainable? Climate's mm. a whole other issue. I know. I was just going to say about that because yeah. the growing coffee is, um, it would take, that would be four other episodes. Um, yeah and what the climate's role in that and yeah. the water that's needed and how the plants grow and the plants themselves aren't very sustainable in the way they grow either um mm-hmm. in terms of how long it takes to pick it once the once it's ripe and then what happens after the it, the plant gets completely picked over and mm-hmm. then replanting every year and paving more ground to grow this you know it's it's a whole that's a whole nother thing but yeah. man, oh man, does the world love coffee? And like, it is a. No, I mean that's a thing, you know. And I don't see that behavior. Like all the all the um, the market research is showing that it's not shrinking. You know, like you know, in America, it's like you know, Gen Z drinks uh, a lot of coffee and they appreciate coffee. So, um, so it's the market isn't shrinking. But um, yeah, we do have to figure that out because like with climate change. So there's more, you know, there's like more, um, rain, you know, and all these like unpredictable things, but, and also, uh, more pests and stuff, you know, all these, uh, a lot of different stuff that farmers have to combat. Um, but then, you know, there's Vietnam, which is, I don't know, there's like this, um, some Vietnamese coffee companies that are like on the rise This one, um, called win, um, from Brooklyn, this woman out of Brooklyn. Um, she's Vietnamese American and she's really tapped into Robusta from Vietnam and it's crazy. And she's just crushing it. She's just telling, she's got like three points, you know, as a marketer, she's brilliant. Um, I don't know what her background is, if she has a background in marketing, but she's just nailed it. You know, she's like, there's climate change is a problem. Um, and so Vietnamese coffee can grow lower, a lower altitude with hotter temperatures, and it's more resilient to climate fluctuations. And all of that is true. Wow. Um, you know, it also has more caffeine. Yeah. That's delicious. True. Yeah. What's delicious? Vietnamese coffee. It packs a punch. Oh, Vietnamese coffee. Oh yeah. Oh, you're thinking of like the stuff that's got. I'm talking about the beans. Like no, the- no, no. I'm talking about like the actual like yeah. coffee, coffee. Not not the not the milky sweet. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. very delicious too. I mean, Don't get that's me wrong. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I like. Yeah. Like, I mean, who's gonna say no to condensed milk? <laughs> <You know? laughs> not me. Um, but yeah. So like, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. So it's uh, it's different. You know, I feel like it's much robusta is much more like uh, uh, arabica of like Sumatra or Indonesian. It's like kind of or you know earthy, leathery, you know, musky maybe. Um. But, you know, but it's not, and another part, you know, her other pitch is it's not, um, it's not bright and light. And that's like the stuff that I love, you know, like talking about Ethiopian or Kenyan coffee is like, they're really like juicy and bright and everything. But, you know, a lot of like the average coffee drinker just puts milk and sugar in their drink, wants it to just be chocolatey yeah well this time of the season it's pumpkin-y which i <laughs> can't. I, mean, I mean you add so much stuff to it anyway so yeah, yeah. so it's like so you know the whole thing is that it gets climate resilient it's twice the caffeine and it's not you know it's uh what you want coffee to taste like chocolate. yeah totally totally <laughs> so 
What do you think is one of the most surprising things that you learned or that somebody might not even realize when it comes to owning your own coffee company? Yeah. Huh. Um, I mean, that's kind of, that's a little bit like what we're trying to work with now is like, you know, is, uh, is kind of getting started with, uh, without doing the due diligence. So, you know, like fast forward 2001, it was like open slate, you know, it's like, oh, it's easy to stand out because there's like this huge corporation that everyone's angry about. You know, New Yorkers don't like to that stuff to be happening. So it was an easy target. I'm like, it's them or this little cool indie place. that's like cares about sourcing and all that stuff. But fast forward to now, everyone's saying that stuff. Everyone's talking about sustainability and their sourcing and everyone's talking about quality, you know, you know, so like, how do you stand out in all that noise? Also fast forward, there's so fewer barriers to entry. You know, like you don't have to buy this expensive machine, figure out how to operate it, deal with the city, deal with like the um, gas company to put in a larger gas line, all that stuff. You don't have to worry about all that stuff. A lot of people can get some time on a on a roaster to co-roasting space. Co-roasting spaces are really popular in, in most metro areas. There's like multiple choices. Um, you can multiple options. Um, and they're great. Like they have, you, you're just like, oh, which, you know, you can, you can have your pick of what kind of roaster you even want to be getting some time on and you don't have to deal with any of that stuff, you know? So, um, you know, where I had to write a business plan and really pitch why it's different because I needed funding, you can start with a lot less money and start a lot quicker but you're lost in the sauce. Yeah. Right. You're just like you, you, it's not just, okay. You you can't tell the same story anymore unless you know, it's just, you're, you're, it's not a business. You know what I mean? It's not a, it's not a business you can really grow. So that's what, that's one piece of the folks that we're talking to and, and, um, helping are these like kind of emerging or they've been around for maybe a year and just like, you know, like, okay, let's sit down and, and talk about, let's do some competitive, uh, let's do competitive landscape and figure out who, who, who you, who's your competition. Cause everyone like, they'll be like, they think nationally. It's like, you're just in Reno. <laughs> let's figure like, honestly, like just dominate Reno, for example, Yeah, you know what I mean? And, and who is in that market right now? Right. And what are they saying? What are they doing? And so like, if everyone's saying this, because that's kind of the truth is like, everyone's kind of saying this, well then do this, you know? And so, um, and also like what speaks to you, you know what I mean? Like you got into coffee for a reason. So like, what's, what are the things that speak to you most and how do we figure out, how do we call out, you know, C-U-L-L, like call out a brand position, you know? So, so you can kind of say like, what's your elevator pitch basically is what it comes down to. Why are you different? You know, and then prove it in that market. And then, and then maybe consider, you know, a national expansion, but like, maybe that's not even, you know, like maybe you might not, not need to do that. Like it's even viable, maybe just go online and get that message. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's so many different, there's so many different channels, you know, everyone wants to be in ready to drink and everyone wants to be like on the grocery shelf and like in cafes. And, you know, it's like, maybe what, maybe you can just like kill it in DTC. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know? um, okay. With yeah. that, I, and we're getting into some beautiful marketing lingo and jargon because, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it because okay. marketing companies, you guys yeah. love, and I love you for it. Acronyms. Mm. There is nothing a marketing company loves more than an acronym for something. Like there's not enough time in the day. You will shorten down sentences and words into acronyms. Every marketer does it. Every marketing company does it. Like there's so many times I'm working with my clients and as you know, and I will have to Google what an acronym is without even asking, because I am like, I know, I know this. Don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. I think it's the perfect segue into talking about <laughs> what chairlift coffee lab is like. It's, oh yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. Very special about what you and your partners are doing Thanks. and what you're also doing is, I mean, I think it's also important to like, why is one um, marketing for a coffee so different than marketing for food and beverage, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. it is in your, in your partner's minds as well. There's a, it's a yeah. different strategy. It's a different ball game. Like yeah. why, what, what sets that apart and talk about a little bit, like <clears throat> what is this mm-hmm. new endeavor that you're on? Yeah. Well, so it's, uh, we call it cheerlift because uh, me and my two partners were all uh, based in Colorado, uh, the Denver area. Um, and, you know, so it's like a hat tip to our Colorado base. Um, but it's also a metaphor to, you know, like bringing brands, coffee brands to the summit, you know, it's like, you're kind of here and you're stuck, like get on and, uh, it's going to be, uh, fun and painless. And we're going to get up to whatever that summit is, whatever, whatever you want that summit to be, or wherever we see you, you know, is a viable way for, for you to, you know, in the end, it's like, how do you, what do you want in your life? You know what I mean? Like, how do you want your life to be? You know, I feel like we're both at the same point of like, how, how, you know, do I, do I want to have 40 cafes? You know, is that my goal, my dream, you know, and like, let's try to figure out what that looks like. You know what I mean? So anyways, what chairlift is like, you know, I say that we're, we're not an agency. Um, we're, we're not really a consulting firm. We're like coffee professionals who've been doing this. You know, I've been doing it for over 20 years. Both of my partners have been doing it for over 20 years. You know, Tara Cross is, she was the marketing director um, at Allegro, which, you know, started out as this independent company. Uh, And then she saw I was bought by Whole Foods. And what did that mean? And, you know, and just like all the growth and the growing pains that happened there and like scaling and, and how do you pivot? Speaking of pivots, you know what I mean? so many pivots and then they're bought by Amazon. So like, what do all those different iterations look like? And so like, she has a very big picture of like what that, what a medium sized company goes through and how they struggle and how they, um, shift and, you know, be, you know, remain profitable. Right. And then Elizabeth, same thing. She's been in coffee for over 20 years. We met in New York when she was the regional coffee buyer for Whole Foods. Um, and she was a huge supporter of my uh, first coffee company, Gorilla Coffee. You know, we we um, you know we had beautiful packaging. We had a great story. Whatever. No one else was doing it, so we were on the shelves. There was at the time there was one Whole Foods in Chelsea, and then it grew to like fifty two. Um, I don't know how many more it is, but it, they they uh, you know like Whole Foods was a helped us grow, you know, and definitely helped with brand recognition and all that stuff. So, anyways, like we're coffee professionals. You know, and so Elizabeth built out, and then she ended up uh, going to Allegro and building out all those coffee bars 
in every Whole Foods and staffing and doing the training program and all this stuff. So, you know, I think she's built out, God, I think 150 coffee bars. Like, I don't think there's, I don't know if there's anybody else in the industry who's built out as many coffee bars and understands yeah. all that logistics. Yeah. You know, a big like, scale like that. Right. A big scale. Like, how do you scale something? Right. And like, you know, what are your costs and what's your menu look like? And what are your offerings? And like, how do you scale with like, staff you know what i mean like that, that's a that's a huge issue and even you know it was a huge issue then uh you know keeping it uh, as simple as possible so that you know the bakery people would come over there and be able to pull a shot so you know and i think we're still i think even more so after uh covid we're seeing um yeah how do you keep that as simple as possible it's hard to retain staff you know yeah um, yeah Anyways, I think those, you know, like we say, like we hit the ground running because, you know, we've all worked with agencies or boutiques or whatever, and it takes explaining coffee to people. It's like, it, they just, you know, it's people don't get it. You know, like you have, I, I, I strongly feel like, you know, there's no one out uh, doing what we're doing. You know, there's a lot of uh, consultants who will help with training, you know, like, so like teach you how to roast or teach you how to cup or how to make a latte art or whatever, or, you know, different pieces of it, but don't take this whole picture of like, what are you, what do you want to be? Where do you want to be? And how do you get there? You know? And like, okay, cool. So like, let's roll up our sleeves we have a good idea. And like, let's think about like your differentiation and also like, how do you make it viable? You know, not only like building uh, market share, you know, which is great, but also profitably, you know, and there's a, you know, and also like, do you want to, are you looking for VC money? You know, like at a certain, you have to be at a certain, you have to be at a certain profitability and a certain size for that to even be a consideration, you know, and, and Tara brings that also, she's got a network of, you know, just being like on the executive level in that whole foods environment. She has a, you know, she's got her um, hand on the pulse there of like BC funding and, and people who, um, you know, they might be interested in something, maybe if it's a new thing. So like kind of helping people craft their, what that is, but also if you're kind of stuck, well, like, let's get you to a place where you're, you can have some profitability, you know, and so that you'll be able to get this kind of money, you know, cause like, there's a lot of, you know, like you were talking earlier, like you can get, uh, loans and stuff, but the rate's terrible. And, it's you're just going to keep stumbling and you know and you know I've I ran into that problem with my second coffee company it's like that's not how you grow like you need someone who's going to really um be in it for the long term you know for this bigger goal yeah you know? yeah so I think like that that's like who we're who we're serving and who we're talking to right now is like that this like early stage you know, super independent. And then this kind of mid-size one that's just a little bit stuck and wants to get past it, you know? And, and so just like figuring out all the different channels and we have a sales strategy too, um, of how to get there, you know, and those two having come out of, uh, the whole foods, uh, ecosystem, they understand like, you know, the buyer schedules and what they care about. And like, you know, so if you want to be in grocery, like, this is how, this is one, this is how you're going to appeal to a buyer and two, how you're going to actually make some money in the end. So no, I think that's, that's really interesting. And like, I don't think people realize how different 
each lane in food and beverage really is when it comes to marketing and diversifying yourself and mm-hmm. being just not just eye candy for people. Like there has to be a reason we all say yes to the dress and and purchase whatever it is you're selling, you know? And, and you guys have not just the ability to make a really pretty glossy ad picture, eye-catching statement in that way, but you all know the inner workings of this and all the like day-to-day minutia that goes into this and the behind the scenes so deeply that it's people are not just investing in them short term. It's there they have 20, 25 plus years of knowledge and of yeah. what you guys bring to the table mm-hmm. is so valuable and important because they're going to be saved from so many pitfalls that they probably will have made and and issues they will encounter, but you Mm -hmm. guys are there to help them before that even happens in a way. And like saving them so much stress and and headaches and and all of that, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, thanks. I mean, I wish, (laughs) you know, I would, and if I had known then what I know yeah, now, exactly. a yeah. bit like that, you know, hindsight's 2020 20, always, always, yeah, know. you know, and like, yeah. And so, you know, like I, I get, I get all the pain points of being a, an independent, you know, and what that looks like and what it looks like when, you know, when things are going great. And I know what it looks like when things are start, you know, when you're just, you know, up against so much competition, and you're not even really sure why that's considered competition, but it is. I know because someone is out there. They've got a brown, browned coffee in a bag you know, with some type of sticker on it. And you're still, that's your competition too. Like you're going to, you might lose um, wholesale because of that. So you know, like you really, yeah. So no, um, I hear you. I hear you. I think we bring all these, like these perspectives. We have a lot of overlap, like, uh, you know, I've done operations, but like, not like uh, Elizabeth's done operations, you know, and like, and Tara gets like scaling this like, you know, midsize company and, and how to position it, you know, like, I, I don't know anyone else qu- quite who's gone through something like that. So, right. you know, yeah, hopefully, um, yeah, that's the, you know, we're talking to a lot of folks right now. It's, um, it's awesome. And, you know, like I got a, you know, I, I was doing CPG stuff. I was doing, um, alternative milks for a while. And then I did, uh, the fish company mm-hmm. the you know, but in the end, it's, we're all talking about the same thing. It's like, you know, sustainability, where's like that, your core ingredients, where are they sourced from and the quality? Why is the quality better? It's always sustainability and quality. And that's like, those are the things I care most about. But in the end, like I keep coming back to coffee, you know, it's, you You really do. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. It's just like in, you know, uh, Jeff Watts, uh, he was the he was one of the founders and the green coffee buyer for intelligentsia for years. And really heavily involved in Roasters Guild. Um, but he said, he's like, you can leave coffee, but it just can't leave you. Like it doesn't leave you, you know? And then I'm just like, God, you're sorry. Cause he would see people leave and then they come back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like, God. And I, I was like, Oh, you know, like coffee is, I've just done it. And you know, I, I like change and stuff. So I'm like, I'm, let me just try something new. And it was always like kind of coffee adjacent or whatever. And yeah. And then also just being outside in the CPG, the consumer packaged goods world. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just like, un- like seeing the, like how coffee is not understood. No, it's like, it's just, uh, it, it, people think it's simple. And I think it's like, I think it's as complicated, maybe even more complicated than wine. 
you know? Yeah. And I've had many, and like, there are so many things that go wrong from when the person purchases the coffee to when they consume it and so many mistakes people make. And, um, I've had many bad cups of coffee. I mean, my, I have a water kettle that I have it scaled to temperature for each type of thing I'm brewing because look at you. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a, food nerd like I am not going to drink a shitty cup of coffee like no no okay so before we get into listener questions what is a good cup of coffee to you we gotta you gotta tell me what is a good cup of coffee to you um honestly I like a a simple cup I brew every morning um you know I'm in charge of that obviously obviously (laughs) yes Yes. um are you you doing in a Chemex are you doing a pour over like how no 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 I use a um a Technoform it's a, you know, that coffee, it's a coffee brewer, it's drip, but you know, it's beautiful. It does like it, 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 it wets the bed. It does all the things as temperature stability. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. And it just like brews my cup beautifully. Um, I have that dialed in and then I have a fellow grinder that I have like dialed in perfectly. And it's, it has like a very fluid adjustment, like a similar to like an espresso grinder. So I really love that. Um, and then I have a scale, you know, I weigh out my coffee, obviously, obviously <laughs> as one does. Yeah. 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 So it's, you know, whole bean, I dose it out, um, grind it and then brew it. But, um, and then it's in a thermal carafe. I used to have a glass one, but I don't know. I, I kind of like when my coffee is hot. Um, and the, you know what my favorite types of coffee are like a light roasted Ethiopian, a washed Ethiopian. Yeah kind of the opposite of what Vietnamese coffee right. companies are saying. I'm like, oh, I like the light, bright stuff. Um, I like the light, bright stuff. Uh, I do too. I mean, I don't like it too bright. I like cereal biscuit notes. I like uh, oh. sweeter vibes. Um, I'm yeah, not- What are you drinking right now? Oh, I drink local stuff. It's um, done mm-hmm. in the town over from me and it's just a very light roast, nothing mm-hmm. fancy. I don't know where it's from. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the origin awesome. of it, like in terms of like where the beans are from. But um, yeah, I'm not like a pumpkin spice girl. I like it oh, nice yeah. and simple. The other thing I do have is an espresso pods, um, the old school, mm. like small ones. And so okay. I like um I like those as well when I'm in a pinch. I'm not oh, one to yeah. like and I know that they got roasted a long time ago and I fully yeah. I know I know all that. But yeah, um, I mean, sometimes let's be honest, sometimes it's caffeine delivery system. Yes, it is. It is. And I've been yeah. drinking a lot of green tea lately as well. So, um, oh, cool. yeah, 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 baby. Yeah. All right, I travel, do- I'll travel mm-hmm. with like instant, like specialty instant, you mm. know, there's like a, there's a, this, uh, company out in Pennsylvania. Actually, I think he's around Erie, um, called Swift coffee. But anyways, they do, uh, they do freeze drying. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's a really tedious, time intensive process, but they basically brew coffee, put it into cubes and then dehydrate it. Yeah. But that's how you get the notes of those coffees. So Mm. um, when I'm traveling, I tend to bring some of those sachets with me because like what you get in your hotel room is like a Keurig. You know, and yeah. those, and I don't know, like I'll have those in a pinch, but yeah. when I have these others, I'm like, I'm feeling pretty psyched. <laughs> yeah. You're like, this is better. Yeah. And you used to travel and you probably still do travel, but you traveled a ton with some other 
companies mm-hmm. that you worked for in the past where you were like always yeah. on the road. So yeah. And I've and done I would the zoom thing. from like, like would... many a hotel room lobbies and stuff. I would, you pop your camera up and I'd be like, hi, where are you now? You're like, I'm in blah, blah, blah. Like, oh oh yeah. yeah, that's right. I was in such a around. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I bring the, you know, and then also I get really angry. I don't know whatever's going on. Like with like, uh, I was in a hotel in Las Vegas they had like no coffee set up at all. And like, luckily I had my little sachets, but mm. I'm like, you expect me to go downstairs. I think I was on the 20 something floor, you know, in my pajamas. Cause I'm not like go all the way no. downstairs to the Starbucks, wait in line to come no. up like that's your coffee option. I was so mad. So anyways, yeah, I'm all about specialty instant for traveling. Okay. I love that. I love that. All right. Let's dive into some listener questions. Okay. Let's go. This first one is from Jamal from Instagram. He writes, I'm currently dabbling in some pretty killer homemade pizza. I've started doing some local pop-ups, but I really want to take it to the next level. What are some marketing tips for someone just starting out who has absolutely no marketing budget yet? Well, that's really interesting. Do you think that's like a super unserved area? Like if someone can figure out how to do a high end frozen pizza. Mm, That tastes good. Mm -hmm. That tastes good. Right. Like, God. And I, there was someone at um, Expo West that had, they were just crushing it and that's what they did. They, they, they totally pivoted during COVID. I think they were in Minneapolis. I can't remember who was, it was a woman owned uh, pizzeria, but it was like high, you know, beautiful. It was like a Roman style, you know, Naples style, you know, really beautiful, like simple, beautiful ingredients. Um, and they were frozen. Um, so I think there's a huge market for that. If you can get all those pieces, right. But, um, what to do on uh zero budget is what you're doing now. Yeah. Is Instagram, you know, is, uh, you know, just get your, like, get your hashtags, you know, just get, if you can get some friends or I don't know, and you know, anyone who's got some follow, like find, find yeah. your influencer type thing yeah, um, and just really tap into how unique it is and how you want it to be maybe like this frozen pizza in your grocery aisle, because what's there is terrible. It's just it hot. Cheese. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just hot cheese. Yeah. Yeah. And as a former New Yorker, I'm always offended and I have to, you know, whenever, <laughs> you know, there was a time during COVID. Wow. We just got into some weird habits, but I was buying at Costco, like the, just the cheese pizza. And you know, I'd just be like, I don't want to think about it. I'm just like putting this in. I'm like, it's not pizza. It's just hot cheese you know um but anyway i think there's something there i think that's like you know if you can you convey that you know with yeah. that thing of like saving saving us all you know and I, I would love to be able to buy a frozen pizza that's that quality i know, you know? me too, me too. Give, like if you can give some free samples to mm-hmm. some folks who are you know um that's kind of low low cost um mm-hmm. Influencer marketing has gotten expensive, but I think there's still people out there who, um, I mean, send it to you. I know. Right. So you should uh, put it, you know, like, and then, uh, you know, and then your network sees it and stuff and be mm-hmm. like, I'm, you know, just like, like user generated content. That's the gold. You know, that's what we all want anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. It's true. Um, yeah. And I think dovetailing on what you said about Instagram, if you do have a tiny bit of money paid social ads, do they don't do yeah. a ton, but it's, it's, your numbers. Yeah, yeah. It just, it, it, you got to get in front of the right people. 
and in in a very authentic way that's what we're all trying to do and I feel like if you have a good heart and it's authentic and it's coming from the right place Jamal your pizza business will skyrocket so have faith and and maybe send it to local press you know Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's a great idea too um Um, right about it okay adam in oregon writes i just started college and i'm really interested in a career in marketing as someone who has made a career for themselves in doing this what advice do you have for someone like me who is just starting out Mm, I would well you didn't go to college for marketing so Adam it doesn't really uh, fucking matter I, know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I don't know you know like I am a you know who knows where uh our world is gonna end up in terms of like how much AI is gonna take over stuff I would study the humanities you know I don't know philosophy literature language that sort of stuff um because that's just what makes us human you know, and I think, uh, you know, we, we, I'm, I'm, I'm using like, you know, these, uh, large language model things like chat GPT and Claude AI that help flesh out stuff. And it's amazing, you know, but I also, uh, know how to write, you know, and, and that's something that I learned in college, me in high school, you know, like, how do you like study rhetoric? Honestly, if you're going to be a marketer, like if you know, like my partner is a, you know, is a PhD in rhetorician. And sometimes I'm like, you're a better marketer than I am. Like just really understanding your audience, you know, and that's, that's really what marketing is. All these different technologies and stuff are, who knows, you know, I didn't, how, how could I have even anticipated social media, you know, but it's all the same thing. It's like, how do you find your market? How do you speak to them? How do you get them to, how do you motivate them to, yeah because even with algorithms and things coming and going it is down to the human experience so like how can you distill down the human experience without really paying attention to life around you like I feel like we are on that generation where we didn't have there was no computers for us growing up until there was and so we had to learn i mean i'm not saying this generation doesn't learn but with all this ai there's a lot of talk about how that's going to affect learning college i mean not just the college essay process i mean like true Mm -hmm. learning in general like my our generation we didn't really need to know how to spell in the end like spelling bees (laughs) and spelling classes and like things like that (laughs) yeah turns out (laughs) didn't really need to learn how to spell all that much like and cursive yeah. really didn't need to take all those lessons oh, in cursive either right, right. like that's yes, right I know but pretty much everything else I do use that I've learned over the years in different ways and so I do I agree with you that for someone who's starting a career out in marketing don't just take marketing classes you want to be as well-rounded as a human as you possibly can be yeah in addition to trying to be a creative forward thinking individual like the the thing with marketing is you're always trying to go ahead of the curve like you're trying to create the 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 vibe of what's coming so then other people copy you like that's that's like the golden standard of you setting a tone and having people be like oh my god that, i, I want to do something like that and you're like huh. we like now i need to go and do the next thing that someone wants to do something like me you know what i mean so <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, like you're saying, 
just be open to everything. Say yes to everything and mm-hmm. get yeah. out there and be a human. Don't just sit in front of a computer. Don't just sit in front of your phone. Yeah. Study the things that make you more human because when it's humans versus the robots, yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean? The robots can do so much and all you know, but like, uh, you know, I'm pro AI. I think it's great. It's a tool. It's, you know, that's it. You know, it's a, it's a pencil. It's a, you know, another tool, but at the, at the end I'm doing the inputs and like, and doing the editing and doing the messaging. Yes you know? So yeah, I hear you. I hear AI is it's a, it's the wild West right now. Um, (laughs) L from Instagram writes for the last few years, I feel like everyone was talking about brand identity. That's in quotes. I've got my little fingers going, whether it be an actual product or even a person, how can I craft a brand identity that sets me and my product apart from everyone else? Mm, Hmm. That's a big question. Yeah. (laughs) What's I mean, the shortest I answer? Know. Yeah, I think uh, that's, I do think more and more, especially with social media, there is that personal brand mm-hmm. and your company brand. They're almost inextricably linked. Oh, they're, they're identical. Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, with these influencers and like we see, you know, it's crazy right now. Um, we are seeing influencers who have a huge audience, like a hundred thousand followers, for example. So true story. And then a VC is like, oh, this is great. Like, let's flip you into like selling this coffee product. And now you have a coffee brand and we're going to invest 20 million in you. And now you have a brand. So, I mean, that person started with their own personal brand of things that they cared about. And you yeah. see this, uh, Beth, all the time, all with the time. like food influencers, you know, and then they start. So I don't know. It's like, it's, it's, it's kind of icky as I'm talking about it, It is, it just, yes. you know, like just whatever, whatever is you're passionate about um do it and then maybe you'll find followers and yeah Yeah. I think it comes back to being authentic I think authenticity is what kind of cuts through the bullshit and you makes us want to hang out with you you know being authentic to yourself Mm -hmm. and also being cohesive like you have to have this like cohesive continuity between whatever it is you're doing selling like yeah. you can't just, in my opinion, I think that's what helps form what a brand identity is, is just a, co- a full cohesive package of yeah whatever it is you're selling, whether it's yourself, whether it's, you know, like for me in photography, it's creating a look and I have a look of how I shoot and yeah. it, you can see it across my entire portfolio. And so, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's the same thing with any brand, with any company, with any consumer packaged good, like you want to create a look that is yeah. cohesive throughout whatever your channels are. Like you can't be a douchebag on Twitter or whatever it's called now. And yeah. then be another version of yourself on Instagram and be like, create a new yeah. account, create, create a new persona because ah. like, that's, you, yeah. you just need to be like a kind, authentic, cohesive human. In my yeah. opinion. And you know, what's interesting too. And this, I care about this as well as like a consumer is like, I want to know who's behind the brand. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, um, and that's something that, you know, I've helped with, with these brands too, is like bringing that person to the forefront mm-hmm. a little bit, like getting speaking engagements. Cause this person is really interesting. They're interesting because they started this thing, you mm-hmm. know, they have a passion or interest in something, but like, you know, I, I hate it when I go to a, a, a brand's website and there's 
nothing. I mean, that's, that's sort of like what the big companies have. They don't have a story. They don't have a founding story. So like, that's some, that's a huge differentiator, you know, that, that the Indies have is like, tell about that story of who you are, you know, like we're talking to this, um, uh, baking company right now. Um, and it's woman owned and they're not mm. that story. It's like, gotta lean into that hundred percent. Yeah. We love women. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Last questions. Yeah. Last question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you currently making? We are a food podcast. So oh, yeah. what, what are you currently making or drinking at home right now? Oh my gosh. Well, I've been doing a lot of juicing. Really? <laughs> Oh no, are you on the celery juice craze? Oh, oh no. God, I am. Mm, and I yeah. think it's all hooey. It's I don't bullshit. Know. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I know. I don't know. So I'm yeah, a friend of mine gave me um his he upgraded his juicer. So he just gave me his Breville juicer. Oh nice. Um, you know, I've had when I had a um, Super Crown, my second coffee company, we were doing juice, and so I was doing the cold press juice, which sure. I love because like, you know, it's the d- driest pulp and you just feel like, oh, that's amazing, you know, yeah. like every essence out of this. Um, so I've been juicing a lot, you know, I, I've been doing celery juice, um, and then like carrot and beet and, and those types of things. Um, I don't know. And I also made up this, uh, this is funny. Like I made, um, you know, I'm trying not to eat ice. Like my inclination is ice cream at night. Cause I love ice cream, you know? Um, so I'm just trying to be healthier. So I'm using uh, Greek yogurt, plain Greek yogurt, um, and then doing, um, bone like wild blueberries. Ooh. I add a little bit of that to it. And then, um, and then lemon zest and then I top it off with some granola. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. And that's like, I don't know. It's like, it's delicious. I like blueberry and lemon together. Yeah. It's kind of mix it up and it's just like, I don't know. It just like feels like a healthier option. I, yeah. Um, it checks the box and you get some protein and all that good stuff. Two uh-huh. from them. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So how can people find you? How can they get a hold of you? Oh yeah, sure. Sure. Um, well you can, so our, our website, our company website is chairlift.coffee. Um, and then I'm just my name, but you can, yeah, you can just email a hello there. Um, yeah, that's, that's us in a nutshell. It just tells about like, it has a, goes into our bios a little bit about like, um, of how we position ourselves and yeah. Yay. That's awesome. Okay. Last, last, last question. I ask everyone, if you had all the money in the world, where are you going and what are you eating? Oh my God. I would go to Oaxaca and live there for like a year. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. A good friend of ours is, uh, she's from just outside of Mexico city. And we were talking about, we went hiking. I've been hiking a lot of weekends. Um, and she's like, I want to re- retire in Oaxaca. I'm like, I want to retire in Oaxaca. I'm like, I love it. Like, how about I just open a stand? And like, and we were kind of talking about like what kind of the same question, if you had unlimited money, whatever, mm-hmm. what would you go and do? And I was like, I would go to Oaxaca with you and my partner, you know, uh, retire there, but I would open a stand a small stand that I would just do whatever was seasonal and what I was liking at that time. And I wouldn't get, if I didn't have to worry about money and I could just do what I wanted to mm-hmm. do, I would do, you know, like I was just doing peach cobblers cause I, we had all these peaches, you know? And so now I'm like, Oh, those are done. And now I'm like, oh, it's apple season. Yeah. So like we wanted to, like, I would kind of do that. And I would probably do some type of coffee thing too. Cause I just like delicious all roads. Yeah. Lead back to coffee for you. Yeah. So yeah, you have to. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then just like soak up that culture. Cause like, it's, you know, it's the area in Mexico that wasn't colonized. So yeah. it's in indigenous culture. And so they have like, I just like, you know, the Mezcal and I just love, it's just like this craft community that's just age old and they're still mm -hmm. doing it. And hopefully it doesn't get overrun by gringos, but yeah, no, that's yeah. great. I love it. That's awesome. It's the first one I've heard of that. So that's, I've done a lot of these and no one said Oaxaca yet. So that was great. Darlene, thank you so much for being on the pod. I absolutely adore you. I love seeing your face. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Oh, likewise. That. Thank you so much, Beth Fuller. Yay. All right. I will see you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hold on. Oh my gosh. Darlene, thank you so much for coming on the pod. It was such a pleasure to talk with you, and I'm so glad we got to share all of your marketing and coffee wisdom with our listeners. And if you are interested in hiring Chairlift Coffee Lab, then please head over to the show notes, and I will link all of their information in there. And when you do talk to them, tell them how you found them through the podcast, and uh, they will give you a big, warm hug as well as a uh, solid advice on marketing <laughs> and your company will make bazillions of dollars so hire them hire them and I can take your photos so really it's a win-win for all of us <laughs> I'm just kidding anyway head on over to my website for all of the show notes all of my beautiful photography and that's elizabethrfuller.com you've got questions for the podcast shoot me an email let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in your food adventures at Let's Go on a Food Adventure on Instagram. So, you guys, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. I adore you all. Make some yummy food together this weekend. Lead with kindness, and I'll see you in two weeks. All right. Bye.